Welcome to the first Champagne Comedy Podcast. My name is Matt and I am joined by, I guess, four people. Yeah, I was about to include myself there, but four people from all over Australia, (laughs) including the UK. So let's start with, and this is the first time, so I'm going to be stuttering and stammering like everyone else on here. I'll go in alphabetical order. So let's go to the UK first and I just want to say hello to... Alison. Hello. Greetings from London. Yes, we're going to be having a few pregnant pauses because we're just making this up on the spot. No script or anything whatsoever. Just like a live show, which I think was kind of like the late show, really. It was just mm-hmm. eyes on the spot. <laughs> all right. Well, first of all, um, my name's Matt, as I've said, and I uh, love the late show like everyone else here. Um, I was roughly 12, 13 years old um, when the show was on TV. And I've been like a leech on all their comedy, really. So, uh, Alison, uh, can you tell us a bit about your background or your fan fascination with the show? Well, I grew up in Adelaide and I would have been about 14 or 15 when The Late Show went out and I discovered it from the second episode. So um, this first episode is one I never actually saw go out. But, yeah, the the first the first time I saw that second episode, I was just absolutely hooked and, and tuned in every single Saturday night. And I guess ever since it ended, I, I've sort of felt slightly disappointed in Saturday nights because the late show isn't on anymore. Oh, that's a pity. I think we're all disappointed at the same time when that was going on. <laughs> and so now next in line is uh, Mr. Daniel G. How are you, Daniel? Uh, yeah, Saturday night is the loneliest night of the week. Uh, good to be with you, everyone. Fantastic. Um, yeah, uh, I must admit, I sort of I can't ascribe any sort of um, first reaction to the series because I was nine years of age um, at the time of the first episode. But um, I certainly got into it uh, a bit further down the line with the best of videos, especially and yeah, sort of running into this weird little website of uh, similar enthusiasts on the internet. Um, and it was good to be able to find like a bootleg uh, recordings of the show further down the track as well to sort of see what I'd missed, uh, what they thought might not have been as good uh, on the best of videos. Um, and like, apart from that, like I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure why I'm here partially. I think it might be because I do maintain a bit of a connection on Twitter. Um, more than the actual website because um, yeah, every now and again I'll sort of I'll throw some, something I've seen that sort of brings up a reference I remember uh, towards Matt because Matt runs the, the Twitter uh, and Facebook accounts. Um, and really when the AFL, for instance, um, tweets uh, a photo, uh, sorry, four photos with uh, AFL footballers speaking to journalists with voice recorders, the only thing you can really do is quote tweet that with, Geez, who gives a rat's ass about the finals? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it's uh, it's it's good to be here with you, and um, yeah, let's let's uh, let's let's do it. <laughs> Fantastic. Okay, so next in line is well, the admin, the person who started <laughs> the ChampagneComedy.com website, which is uh, Kim. 
Oh, hi, Matt. Thanks so much for hosting this podcast. It's a really good opportunity for us all to get together and actually see each other um, through Zoom. This is obviously a podcast, but we are seeing each other as we record it. So I actually have only met Alison in person. Um, that was during the Get This um, rally in London back in Yeah, I remember. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> and, and so I have obviously um, been dealing with Matt for ages just because I actually created the first uh, Late Show website back in 1996, which was originally hosted on a GeoCities website. Uh, <laughs> hey. Anyone remembers GeoCities? It was. Um, I remember GeoCities. Yeah, it was. It was basically the WordPress of its day. <laughs> that's right, and and you could choose different communities. And um, the Late Show was a big part of my um, high school years. It was about 15 years old when it's when I first discovered it. It was. Um, probably quite a few episodes into the first season, actually, maybe halfway through. And I, I was hooked after that and I had a crush on Santos just <laughs> back in the day. <laughs> and, um, yeah, it was just, just, just something that really got us through those high school years and I thought it was a, a just really satirical and fun and, and we just we just had a really good time um, quoting each other in the playground the next, the next Monday. Um, so when I discovered GeoCities, I'd created a, a very basic website, very text-based I don't even think I had a background initially, and then I discovered how to how to do that. Um, and it didn't have a forum or any other interactive features. They came further down the track, and that was when everyone actually got to got together and was able to communicate with each other and swap anecdotes. Um, initially, it was all very one way, and people would just email me, going, "This is a great resource. I really, it's really good that there's a website out there about the Late Show." And um, yeah, once the forum got got going, which is now. In hibernation at the moment. Let's, let's say let, we're hoping to bring it back one day. Um, yeah, that, that was really good. And obviously social media has um, taken its place nowadays and, and you get thousands of comments. Um, and thankfully Matt is is there doing all the admin for the, the Twitter and Facebook accounts, which you get so much engagement and so just you just don't know, do you, how, how much people just actually loved The Late Show back in the day and they can still quote it to this day. And even people who, who were only a couple of years old at the time are now being introduced to this, this humour. Um, and some of it's dated well and some of it hasn't, and as we, I'm sure, will uh, recount further down the track. Um, but, yeah, it's just been a really, really good ride and I, I've just really enjoyed just, just that connectivity that, that you get with everyone um, and I'm sure you'll, you'll have as well. So, yeah. That's my summary. Thank you. <laughs> and a bit long. Yes. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Edit that, that out. <laughs> that's okay. And we're done. Yep. Thank you very much. <laughs> All good. Now, uh, and this uh, topic, yeah. Uh, well, hey, we're going to leak into a sticky moment to Julian Clary. Now, <laughs> we know, yeah, that's not a 92 reference there. We have Prue. Hello, Prue. Hi, how are you going? Um, yeah, so I grew up in Melbourne and I grew up with the DJ and I was about I was in VCE when the late show was on, so year 11 and year 12, so it was utterly monumental, but it didn't start out that way. I was just recounting my own experience with it when I was re-watching the first episode. So because the DGM were on Eon FM and then Triple M, they were kind of my alarm clock ever since I started year 7. So unfortunately, I really took them for granted, all those kind of... Um, reviews and articles on the DJ in those days like would describe Tommy G as a bunkiller 
And <laughs> I would have to say I completely agree because they were kind of my auntie and uncle's age. So I was just like, yeah, whatever, you know, and um, I was a real comedy nerd at the time and I was so into the real kind of rock star comedians like, you know, Lena and Woodley and the Doug Anthony All-Stars and the D-Gen were like clever and amazing and we thought they were great but they just weren't sexy enough to really sort of like drop everything and watch what they were doing at the beginning. And (laughs) so I remember my dad and his girlfriend were mad about the show, were like elbowing me out of the lounge room so they could watch it and I was like a bit, weird about it a bit kind of like 16 17 year old weird about it and um didn't engage with it until properly until later on and then I was just like full of regret deep like I cannot tell you the regret I had that I didn't record every single second of it and I wasn't really an insane fan until that summer of of 92 and 93 where they played like best bits on the weekend, which eventually was sort of truncated into the video. So, but that was what I recorded for years and would just like, that was my only exposure to season one forever until this project came out where we all got a bit of a bootleg and happy days when I finally got that pristine first episode. <laughs> we're, we're really indebted to... Um... Uh, ben G, no relation to me, Daniel G, um, who, who committed all this stuff to DVD. Yeah, um, there, it was a prerequisite that you had to have all of their, their best bits, the champagne edition, you had to have, you know, mm. certain things because back then, yeah, it was bootleg stuff and, and you didn't want to actually be seen as pirating. You had to be a true fan. Only the true fans could could have their, their copy of these and you had to mm. prove yourself. So nowadays you can get anything anywhere. Definitely. And now when you, say, try to upload an entire episode on sale to YouTube, just to test out to see where it goes, bam, you can Mm. buy a much copyrighted songs or, in fact, the ABC comes out and goes, no, that's part of the best bits of the late show, which is available on YouTube as well as iTunes, Google Play, legal places and all that. So, um, yeah, it's more or less you either got to know someone or you have your own VHS copy which you've decided to digitise. Now, um, yeah, we've managed to track our own episodes down, so to speak, even though, uh, yeah, yeah, we're all good friends here, I think. (laughs) Well, do you know what I am? We didn't didn't have, uh, we didn't get this episode. They fell off the back of the truck. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, or a mystery. Yeah. Oh, there. sorry. I meant to say, of course, I just used my VHS tape that I recorded in 1992. Of course, I did. <laughs> so, well, you see, any anyone would know that that I'm lying if I said, oh, I definitely recorded these in 1992 and 1993 because the copies that I'm looking at have got the the bit at the end, which we never got in Adelaide, which is the bit about how you can get a ticket. Yeah, oh, don't get me started. <laughs> Yeah, I always wondered how you could get a ticket to the late show. Um, you know, you couldn't. That's it. That's well, the show. I'm, I'm, I'm sure it would be extremely hard to ring that number at ten o'clock in the morning of whatever day it was you had to ring because everyone would have jammed the phone lines. But, but yeah, I always wondered because I used to go to Melbourne occasionally. I've got um, family there, and um, I always wanted to go, but never, never managed it because I didn't know how to book. I totally yeah. agree. I'm from yeah. Sydney and I was having the same issue as well. Like when they would come up at the end, I'm going, how the heck or where the hell did they film it? And it wasn't until season two when we do decide to get to that part when they did a show from Sydney. I was like, 
what? It was done in Melbourne the entire time? I had no idea. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, well, yeah, I was in uh, year 12 and I would wag on Monday mornings, 10 a.m., to try and to ring this number constantly. Wag! Oh, wagging school on a Monday. Wow. <laughs> and I just finally realised that it was bullshit. Like there were maybe five <laughs> tickets available to the public. The rest were just popped out to the industry. It wasn't actually until later um, Richard Marsland told a story about how he got a ticket to the show, when, you know, from Adelaide and drove over and he kept a script that he, that he found on the floor. It was a, an amazing anecdote. And I was like, oh, wow, you could actually go if you were just a normal person. <laughs> you know when you uh, watch the episodes now and then they cut to the audience, you actually have a tiny or concentrated look on some people and you go, Wait a minute! I know that person. That person's a journalist. That person's a comedian. Or yeah, <laughs> didn't we once spot Mikey Robbins? I thought we talked about that once on the forum. Like there were all these like, oh, come on, look at those guys. Yeah, Lauren <laughs> who they went to uni together with, and uh, Michael Otterhove was in it as well. So there's a few. Uh, well, yeah, the, the the Sydney episode especially has a lot of uh, uh, media press in it for one sketch in particular as well. Yeah, uh, that that explains why I never got tickets. So I also, when they said they were coming to Sydney, I was like, oh, I'm on this. Let's let's all try and get on. Oh, I knew it wasn't going to happen. So <laughs> uh, to get to get tickets for Sydney, didn't you have to send in a picture of you with a famous person? Oh, oh, that's right. Yeah, there was a comment. Yeah. Yeah. This is probably why we didn't get any. <laughs> but I do remember they filmed uh, the street interviews right in Marrickville, which was very close to where um, my friend lived, and that was a very exciting moment to see that that pink whale, which we're all familiar with. And um, the dentist <laughs> is still there as I've <laughs> as I've walked past it, the one that they're standing in front of. Well, when you brought that up, because at one stage in my life I worked in Marrickville Road, and for, this was for about a year and then um, when we were discussing this about the whole dentist place I went oh, I worked only around the corner from that place for one whole year and I had no idea whatsoever because I had to walk either to a Marrickville train station or Sydney and I'd walk past it every time and had no bloody idea and I've gone that, that's how nerdy yeah that's how obscure we are <laughs> you you could have been accosted by two idiots with a microphone oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> Oh, so it's now for all of us to get together and talk about uh, well, what this uh, podcast, other than getting together. Well, oh, hang, hang on, hang on, Matt. You, you, I don't think you said anything about how you, uh, how oh. you first uh, came into contact with the Late Show and uh, and the website. Oh, okay. Um, Come on, fess up. We've all done it. Okay. All right. Well, um, <laughs> then being 12, 13 years old when it was on, um, and I, I was you know, sneaking in at night. Uh, I was told to go to bed, really, by my uh, <laughs> dad was staying up watching it. Uh, my older brother was a fan of the D-Gen and I listened to the satanic sketches religiously so much that I could nearly quote it word for word from the very beginning to the end. And, yeah, we would be watching it and mum would go, go to bed. And I'd go, hold on five more minutes. And next thing you know, it's, you know, toilet break and then, you know, actually use that toilet break because I had no <laughs> how funny they were <laughs> and yeah from there I had a few VHS recordings uh, but they didn't last a day of time and oh. uh, like uh, after that it was mainly when Martin Malloy was on radio that inspired me and I now work in media and I've just stuck with that and 
wasn't until yeah. I think it was I was looking for a couple of clips of the Late Show. Um, this is in the early noughties and found Champagne Comedy. And from there, I stuck around like a bad fart, really. <laughs> Dutch oven. Yeah, <laughs> it's a steamy Dutch oven. Hey, Matt, did your mum let you stay up and watch Birds of a Feather? Like, was that fine or? That's why <laughs> you were actually up because you loved Birds of a Feather. <laughs> and then it was like once it was over, up. Oh, to go and then i was like oh a few more minutes well, i just want to see what this show is on afterwards and uh, lucky that, that the sense of humor and let us stay up so he goes i know you got a sport game tomorrow but you know if you wake up and don't sleep in you can stay watch it so um yeah, that's how now just just uh, speaking of birds of a feather sorry to, i feel i feel like i'm taking over like no, this. Um, i was interested um as to what might have been airing up against the late show um with the first episode. So um, earlier today, I was uh, knee deep in microfilm, uh, looking up old uh, copies of The Age. So um, mm-hmm. uh, just just quickly, I'll um, I'll let you know what was up uh, against uh, the show on all the other channels. Well, I know what was up against it in the second week because Tommy G said that um, the Barcelona, Barcelona Olympic opening <laughs> yeah. That's right. Yeah, they, they, they do. They did yeah. mention that at, right at the end of the first episode. Ah, here we go. Okay, so uh, on Channel 7 was the end of an Inspector Morse telemovie uh, called The Last Enemy. Uh, the thinking man sleuth John Thor is back in another Oxford whodunit, this time the contenders for a highly prized and prestigious position at the university are prime suspects in a murder. Well, doesn't that um, just prove that Inspector Morse has been on for a thousand years? Well, yep. yeah, still on, probably still on, on some bloody digital oh, channel. Right. <laughs> uh, I think I think John Thor's deceased, isn't he? Oh, John Thor is dead. Yeah, he oh. he died many years ago. Yeah, oh, sad. Yeah, I, I found so, some old TV weeks, and here's Sophie Lee and uh, Rebecca Elmer Lovell is yeah. on the other one. And, oh. uh, so you can actually um, tune with your Panasonic v- VHS. You can actually tune in and barcode <laughs> scanner. What was that called? Uh, a G code? Amazing. G- no, yeah. it was it was it was different to, to the G code, but it was yeah, it was a printed barcode that you had mm. to scan with the remote control. I think. Bring That's down right. if you had a Panasonic. Um, so in September, they basically were airing against uh, Ghostbusters, Passage to India, and the movie Stakeout. So. <laughs> oh no! No, see, I don't. I, I don't have that in in the uh, in the That's TV guide was, that, that I found here. Is, uh, this was I, in I, Sydney, I, so. Uh, uh, okay. Yeah, see, I, I thought this might happen. That there might be a bit of variance between the cities. Like, I just chose Melbourne because that's where it was uh, yeah. filmed. So this was in um, September. On, on, yeah. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, this is. Um, a few, these are the only ones I've got. Unfortunately, I don't have. Uh, uh, right. uh, months and months of TV weeks. So I only wish I did. <laughs> that's all I could find from my archives. <laughs> so uh, on Channel 9 was the film The Lost Boys. Um, and that was after Hey Hey It's Saturday, which came from the Darwin Casino with guests John Farnham and Tommy Emmanuel. Mm. Wow. Tommy <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> Emmanuel. Sorry, whenever someone says Tommy Emmanuel, I just think any unsubmerged item from the Bain Marie. So that, that's very <laughs> Yeah. Um, Channel 10 had uh, NBL basketball, uh, Southeast Melbourne Magic v North Melbourne Giants. 
Um, if you don't want to know the score, that's fine, because I don't know the score either. And SBS had um, a film called Orpheus, 1949 French fantasy drama, um, generally regarded as a director Jean Cocteau's greatest work, but this fantastical recounting of the Orpheus myth remains hard going for all but the most avid film buffs, who might notice that 20 minutes have been trimmed from its original length. Uh, is what it says here. That's appalling. <laughs> that shouldn't be. Yes, back in the 90s, they just used to slice and dice mm. movies. Oh, outrageous. That's right. I have to say, that's kind of tough competition, isn't it? Mm. I mean, you know, a classic movie. No, it isn't at all. <laughs> You'd be watching I'm, later. I'm, I'm kind of surprised that there's no football up against it. There was football earlier in the, earlier in the day, like highlights on Channel 7, but maybe it's just the way that the... Uh, AFL. Um, they they didn't uh, used to have so much evening football back then, I, okay. as I remember. It, it's more of a modern thing, isn't it? Um, yeah. yeah. Most of the matches would be played during the day. Like there'd be a Friday night match and a Saturday night match and then the others would be on Saturday afternoon, really. Well, ju- judging by the TV guide here, there's two matches worth in a 90-minute in a time slot, so that would have been highlights, obviously. Yeah. Which, yeah, it just it seems so weird in, in these days when you when there's a whole channel dedicated to it and you, you can watch every game, uh, you know, on your mobile. I think we can um, all conclude the Late Show was pretty much the best thing that that yeah. you could have watched. So. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> pretty yeah. much. And and I've I've saved the uh, channel channel two uh, as it was called then uh, till last. Um, uh, I forget who mentioned that that. Uh, you know, Birds of a Feather was the usual lead-in, and I thought it would have been um, uh, with the first episode, but it turns out that it's actually um, a different British comedy, Smith and Jones. Oh, classic. What? Yeah. So, um, and Mel, Mel, Mel Smith and Griff Rhys-Jones, um, best known for Not the Nine O'Clock News, and, yeah, this was their own spin-off, essentially. Yeah. I, not, I not, remember not a bad lead-in. Yeah, that was a good show. I mean, I... I find it really weird because I always used to watch the bill and then the comedy afterwards, and I can't believe I I, I didn't watch Smith and Jones that week and then watch the Late Show. But um, mm. one of the things that I remember about the Late Show was that basically it got absolutely no publicity. I don't remember ever seeing any promotional ads on the ABC for it, and I used to watch the ABC quite a lot, so I should have seen it. And this this is one of the famous things about the Late Show is that. ABC publicity barely touched it in the first year, and then so, and it became this kind of word of mouth hit. And then suddenly, in the second series, you couldn't move for publicity about the Late Show. They they mm. were all, but but basically, it just went to air with no promotion, as I remember. And then it and then people discovered it. Yeah, yeah, I think no, that's there was, right. That's I think right. there was one ad maybe like mm. that I saw a couple of times, and it was a very kind of. Um, lo-fi event you know their handheld sort of stuff there was more of an ad campaign for the radio show like that sort of you guys have ever seen those old um ads of them in the lift and um yeah Yeah. like so yeah it just appeared it definitely just appeared because yeah like nobody gave a shit about it for a while the the other sort of like a special little club really yeah, the, the other thing to remember about it is is that it was called D-Gen The Late Show and, and they yeah. were trading on the, the fame of the D-Generation name. So that that was kind of their one sort of <clears throat> attempt at marketing was to remind people who was in it. 
Yeah. Although they, to be fair, they were the degen. They were the degen all all the way through, like on the radio and stuff. So it wasn't like disingenuous to say the degen. Yeah. Yeah. It, it wasn't a bait they dropped, switch. They dropped that later. Mm, yeah. Yeah, I think it was towards the end of the first season where things picked up, and and as as you say, Alison, there was virtually no publicity. Um, it was all, with, well, for me personally, it was all chat, chatter in the playground and, and people were just saying, yeah. oh, there's this great new show and, and everyone getting into it that way. There was no Facebook, there was no social media to really spread the word about it back then. And then gradually it, you'd get things appearing in the ABC stores, T-shirts, other merchandise, which was really good. Um, and I think that that Who article, Who magazine article about the degeneration, I remember reading that and learning about their history because I didn't really... Um, grow up with with the DJ as a radio. So learning about who they were and and their history of how they all got together. That was basically where I first got my information from, and um, and from there we just started seeing more things in magazines. I used to religiously buy the every pretty much everything TV hits, TV week, smash hits, um, mm. all Dolly, girlfriend, whatever you name it. I, I used to just buy all those magazines and, and see which whenever there was a little tiny little snippet that was late show related, I'd cut it out or photocopy it because I didn't want to tarnish the original. Yeah. And that was basically <laughs> how I built up some of my knowledge. And, and I remember in between seasons one and two, a little bit more publicity about going into the second season. I remember driving past actual posters for the DGEN and, and the late show and seeing seeing some of it um, publicised in, in the magazines as well. So it was really season two that, that had that publicity behind it and there was that expectation for them to actually be <laughs> a respectable show, which uh, which <laughs> if not, for a better word, but, uh, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. There still wasn't enough publicity, though. <laughs> I remember one time they made it to the stickers on the front of um, TV Hits. Remember those? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Show sticker you know you've like, made it. Oh, <laughs> 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 you know you made it when you're on a sticker on TV Hits. <laughs> Did any of you guys had any merchandise? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I'm I can't believe I threw it away. I had the hat and the T-shirt. What are yeah, you hat, T-shirt. I had the hat, the T-shirt. Um, yeah, I did have photos of me wearing the T-shirt. That's that's all I've got. I had the cap and then there was that time um, on the forums where the hats were being remade and you could purchase a, a bootleg cap. Does anyone remember that? Oh, no, we should <laughs> do that again. And uh, unfortunately, I, I lost it after I went backpacking around. Uh, it's actually um, in Moscow. So there. And um, that was about, oh gosh, 13 years ago now. Um, apart from that, um, I have no merch. Yeah, I wanted to. And there was a Barjas t-shirt too. Do you remember that? Yes. I've got the Barjas t-shirt. <laughs> I've got the Barjas t-shirt. I've got the Late Show t-shirt. I've got the Late Show cap. I've got a t-shirt from, from when... Tony, Mick, and Judith um, played the Adelaide Fringe in 1993. Oh, wow. Yeah, I'll, I'll get them out at some point, but I, <laughs> I didn't them today. Yeah, I'm, I'm afraid I'm, I'm merchless. Um, I used to have the VHS tapes until the uh, DVD uh, got released. I think, was it 2001, maybe? Yeah. Yeah, 2001. Um, yeah. Back when um, yeah, that's right. was common and you got a booklet, didn't it? Mm. Yeah. They, they record, didn't, didn't they record the commentary for that like the day after 9-11 or the day before 9-11 or something? I think it was shortly oh, before 9-11. Yeah, Kim, you, you might be able to look through the booklet there because mm. I think it's mentioned yeah. what date. 
Let's have a look. It's a very shambolic commentary. I don't have a lot of uh, respect for it. <laughs> it's like, oh, they wander out. They don't bother wandering back in. <laughs> Matt, you, you, you might be, be able to answer this, Matt, but is the commentary available on the digital versions that are available? I do not think they are. No. See, when see, I this, 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 this is why we need to hold on to physical media. Yes. Totally. Yeah. For the, for the, the commentaries and the booklet. Yeah, I reverted back to digital, uh, sorry, to physical when I made the mistake of buying like the League of Gentlemen digitally. And then if you've ever been a fan of them and you buy their stuff, there's like their extras, their, their content, their commentaries is huge. It's like, how could you not include that on a digital version? So I'm over it now. I only get the physical stuff. Totally agree. <laughs> If you start watching something on, say, Netflix or iView or whatever, it won't be there forever. It's only there for a couple of months and then, bomb, gone. Mm. You know so what? if, if, if anybody is, is planning to, to buy the um, uh, Best Bits of the Late Show, get your butt down to JB <laughs> and try and find, I think it's a three-disc um, box set with uh, Barjas in the olden days. I'm, I'm pretty sure it's still available. <clears throat> And if you were an early adopter to it, you had the oh, DVD. Do you, do you mean this this one here? Mm. Oh, it's it's a it's. I, I think the the current version it's a it's a slimmer volume. Um, it doesn't have the booklet, unfortunately. I think yeah. if if I recall, it's it's available as a PDF on a website that doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, that didn't last long. It was only there for a shy of a year because the. ABC Publicity reached out to me ages ago to give away at one of the DVDs. And I said, are you sure? Where's the booklet? You know, and they go, oh, they can go to abcentertainsme.com forward slash light show or whatever it is. And yeah, after it went, I actually was getting emails through the website from people saying, hey, do you have the booklet at all? But I didn't have a scanner at the time, and someone else out there scanned the booklet in, and I just put it up on our own website. So this this says first of September two thousand and one. Oh, wow. the, oh yes, you're right. So, <laughs> so that's that's sort of quite it's ten days before nine eleven. And also, I found that I tucked into it, which is this piece of this piece of paper, and this is a printout from a website which lists all the Easter eggs and how to find them. <laughs> Oh, that's, that's another important. thing you don't get with digital. Yeah. yeah. Easter eggs. Yeah. yeah, so like there's a bonus clip of Don Lane, there's a bonus Charlie the Wonder Dog episode, there's all sorts of other stuff. And and that's and basically, you know, it's it's that sort of early noughties kind of Easter egg thing of you accidentally mm. find stuff. So yeah, that's all that's worth it's worth tracking down the champagne edition if you can. Isn't it the Barge Us in the Olden Days DVD, the individual one that you got? Wasn't that the one where Tony was trying to have the most Easter eggs on the DVD more than the actual content itself? Yeah. <laughs> Wasn't that bad eggs? <laughs> was that a bad eggs thing maybe? Oh, it might have been. It was one or the other. I think, I th I think it's certainly a, a Tony Martin thing. I, I don't think the Easter eggs would have been there without Tony. <laughs> <laughs> totally. <laughs> Definitely not. He needs to release more stuff and have more Easter eggs. In fact, just yeah, come on, Tony, if you're listening, Easter eggs and have any like twenty minutes of content. Right, there's bad eggs. Um, hidden eggs. Hidden eggs. On the back, it says hidden eggs. Hardly, hardly hidden if if we're telling you about them. So there's a booklet, apparently. Yep, and here, here, in fact, booklet. 
and I've tucked a piece of paper in, which is in fact a list of all the Easter eggs. So <laughs> well, that's a very large piece of paper, Alison. So no, it must no, be. it isn't. It's it's one A4 sheet. So, <laughs> so now, looks awkward, like... awkwardly, my my copy of um, Bad Eggs is in a double pack with Cracker Jack. Oh, that's awkward. Yeah. Especially nowadays when Tony and Mick can sort of, uh, they're, they're not a duo anymore. No. But it's it still has the booklet, thankfully. That's a good booklet. I don't, my one here is, oh, wait, it's the same as yours, Alison. Yeah. Yeah, it's all black and an interview with Mick Malloy by Tony Martin. Yeah. Didn't really... We still liked each other. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oh, hold on, let's see. Here's a joke. Cracker Jack 2. Are you working on Cracker Jack 2 wise? And some jargon. Anyway, hundreds of jokes in there. Still get it in all good bargain bins. Now, <laughs> the, the episode. <laughs> episode one. Yes. So, <laughs> yeah, let's, let's, let's finally do it. Okay, so here we go. Uh, season one, episode one, which was broadcast July 18, 1992. Wow. That is a while, isn't it? Now, the first opening sketch, really, unless someone has anything to add first. There's, oh, well, I just feel like it needs to be said at the top that this episode is what I think is wall-to-wall bangers. Like looking at it, it's just such, I couldn't believe how rich content it was. And like halfway through it, you go, wow, it's been half an hour. And then they start olden days and it just keeps going. It's like. You just don't get a comedy show that goes for an hour every week like that anymore. So I just feel like that has to be said at the top. It's really good quality. It is It is really packed with, with content. I don't know about wall-to-wall bangers, just judging by some of the audience non-reaction in a few places. But, geez, yeah. yeah well, who, for, who's that for, audience for an anyway? <laughs> just all journalists and people that they know and already seen it before (laughs) i i think it's um it's worth pointing out that that basically they were doing the dgen radio shows from 86 to sort of april 1992 and and in 1991 they were trying to get a pilot up at channel nine which was called the late late show and that that fell through the channel nine pilot so they eventually managed to go to the abc and so basically three months after they'd left the radio, um, Triple M, they started doing the Late Show. So they went straight into it. And I think that's why there are sort of elements from the radio show like Graham and the Colonel which come over because they've already got a kind mm. of established format and they can just keep going with them. Mm. Um, there's obviously a lot of other stuff from their like live acts, like, you know, the, the REM song that Tony does, he would have done that live in clubs for many years. And so... There's, there's a lot of original material, but also a lot of stuff that they're, from their back catalogues that they're drawing on. So it's it's quite an interesting show. Mm, yeah. It's, 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 you don't get an episode like this again. It's quite, um, no. it's quite it's, unique. It's, it's really scratchy as well. Like there's a lot, of, a lot of kind of technical fluffs and bits where there's weird pauses. And, and I think it feels like they haven't had much rehearsal time and they're abs- they're not used to doing live shows. And so there's all these fluffs and things and, you know, you just don't get that later on, you know, in this episode, they're really learning how to be the late show essentially. And, it's you know, the perils of live TV, really. 
Yeah, it really is. And and it's also quite noticeable that there's no like music segment really. You know, they don't cut to a kind of daggy old clip from Countdown or or from the natural. Yeah, service. no, they they do do countdown classics, but yeah, I know what you mean, the no yeah. toilet break. Yeah. yeah. Well that was Yeah, exactly. Was, uh, in countdown classics when they start doing that and next thing you know you see the the I guess the ID of the super or the title that's about to come up on the screen and you see Tommy Winston going, ah, oh, damn it. And buddy. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's yeah. what made them all so endearing, the fact that they were human like us and they sometimes made these technical errors and, and mm. they, I think they handled it all really well and, and just made that them more relatable, I think, and, and I think that's what you don't see in the commercial TVs, that's kind of slick production. I like that kind of unpolished look. Um, yeah. It it looks nice. And I also what was really interesting watching the title sequence was there's all this footage which presumably is from the pilots that they've made or from mm, yeah. some of it's from sketches that are yet to air that they've obviously got in the in the tank. And oh, no, well the, the yeah. back credits, oh, it's a disgusting because it's full of stuff that we've never seen. Absolutely yeah. full of it. Like just yeah. different, it's either rehearsal footage or it's sketches that we've just never seen. It kills, it kills yeah. you to watch it actually. Yeah. <laughs> but I was expecting there to be lots of technical glitches and stuff on their first one and I had it in my memory that that was like that but when I rewatched it I've gone, actually it's not that bad. They fluff mm. a couple of lines, There's the camera, you know, uh, puts stuff on the big screen that it perhaps shouldn't have but. Who cares? Like it was really minimal actually looking at it from. Yeah. Well, the yeah. point for that one is when Ross Perot uh, impression is up by Rob Sitch and he's trying to deliver a joke or a punchline to uh, Tommy and he's going, he called me names. And then he's doing like a little nod, like as in, <laughs> go on, tell the next line so I can tell my joke. He goes, well, poopy <laughs> pants. Poopy pants. Poopy yeah. pants. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Can I just say that in the news desk segment, isn't it lovely to see Tom Gleisner with hair? <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh. It's funny because I always, at school, we always used to think he was the bald one at the time. So, And then you compare <laughs> it to now and you think, oh, actually, no, he did have hair back then. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah we were so did. mean to Tommy G back then, but now yeah. I think he's quite the genius. Like, I really yeah, have is. a lot more respect for the news desk material you know, because it's just not something that you appreciate as a teenager when you're not engaging with the news. Mm. But even now when the news is, you know, more than 20 years old, God, how long even is it? 28, 28 years old. Years. Yeah. Like, you know, even now it's still very funny. It's just bang, bang, bang. It's great. Yeah. yeah I think can it can I just also watch point the out? News. <laughs> yeah. That was pretty much yeah. where I got my news from. <laughs> did, did, any, did anyone else notice that the sketch with the Alaskan ship captain was shot outside the ABC Rip and Lee Studios? Yeah, I was thinking yeah. that that was such an elaborate um, setup. That gag yeah, with the one oil joke, coming out yeah. the back of the stage. <laughs> 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 it must have taken hours. Now, see, yeah. I, I was, I was, I was too too distracted by the County Court of Alaska sign. That was that must have been duct taped to the top of the wherever it was. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Should we go back to the, the very first sketch with um, Diana? Oh, I just thought yeah. that was a great sketch. And I would, yeah. what I couldn't believe about it is, well, first of all, I think Tony Martin should be cast in season four of The Crown. He's <laughs> amazing. <laughs> Along with Gillian Anderson. Richard Roxburgh as Bob Hall. 
But um, it was just so quick. It was really, really punchy. You know, like mm. I know that Mad as Hell can do lots of really short stuff, but they wouldn't do something that kind of like it was less than a minute or something, wasn't it? It was just really, yeah, really fast. I thought, and mm. yeah. And he obviously got a really daggy music band album reference in there because he goes, oh, she's probably going out to get the latest Spandau Ballet. <laughs> I had to rewind <laughs> to fully appreciate that. I've got, yeah. what did he say? <laughs> and and, and T- Tony must also be ad-libbing lines because he says something like, you know, in this, uh, uh, in this kitchen we employ over 5,000 people alone. <laughs> <I know. laughs> You, so you, you, don't, you, you, you don't notice it with all the other stuff that's going on with um, uh, Jane, presumably, as Lady Di trying yeah. to off herself, which is kind of weird. Oh, very awkward now, isn't it? Yeah, yeah it was quite yeah. awkward. It was about a month after those uh, scandalous kind of exposés about all these allegations that were going on in the palace that were so yeah, the, bizarre um, that no well, one actually... They have to be so bizarre. They must be true if they're so bizarre. And the fact the, that... Um, the, Andrew, Motion's, Andrew Morton's book, the um, Diana, Her True Story, was published in May 1992. So, so there yeah. was a lot of stuff about Diana at the time. And I think yeah. it wasn't until she died that, that they knew for sure that the source of the material was Diana herself, um, which was mm. quite, quite oh. interesting. We wouldn't oh, have known God, I don't even time. think I knew that. Because <laughs> there, there were those tapes that came out and then I think he subsequently released a, a book that we had a more in-depth transcript of all of them, not that I've read any of them, but I just remember at the time everyone was going on about the bulimia and, and all this, all these kind of things about her throwing herself down the stairs, etc. So um, these jokes, it was an audible groan from the audience when it was played then and, and even now mm. you think, gosh. The <laughs> yeah, well, you can now kind of cement that in stone, the fact that just that one sketch at the very beginning kind of prevents the show being fully released really because it's just so dated, awkward, and you have to be there at the time to understand it. But now... Yeah, it, it, might, it might have been gotten lost in, in the 28 years um, yeah. since, yeah. So, uh, yeah. I don't think it's cruel. I don't think it's, I don't think it's uh, having a go at Diana. I think it's more sort of a joke about um, Charles just not getting the not, picture, you know, no like idea. not appreciating yeah. what's yeah. going on with his wife, yeah. you know. There was all this that's stuff. the gag. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's that's yeah. what's really good about The Late Show and that, that satire they brought and how they just turned all those things on their heads and actually, yeah, as you as you say, it's it's Charles who's the one there. Mm. Now he's the most normal one of the royal. <laughs> <laughs> he is, yeah. He's the one with all the sense. It's like all those gags about John Hewson. It's like actually John Hewson turned out to be fairly normal. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, and, and then and then it, it goes into the opening titles and you, like you can hear the the audience's reaction. They sort of don't twig that it's gone from that cold open uh, cold opening sketch to the opening titles, and it sort of just dissolves into the sort of charitable applause really going oh this is the opening titles are we better clap yeah well that theme song is james brown turn me loose dr feelgood just for the people who are not aware of the original theme and have been relying on the dvd uh, substitute so to speak oh, i forgot it's, about it's, that it, it's it's not a bad tune really it sort of it's right. it, it 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 really it, it was a good choice because it, it sort of lets you know that you know 
comedy's coming, you know, it's it's going to be a fun time. Yeah. I wonder now if um, that was sort of like a, a nod to Saturday Night Live, you know, that kind of bluesy sound oh, yeah. that, you know, that. SNL had. There's a lot of lot of SNL influence on this show. Mm. And the other thing, and this, this is a show that never um, was aired on the ABC, was a, a British show called The Mary Whitehouse Experience, which was sort of late 80s, early 90s radio and then TV show. And if you look at the title sequence of the Mary Whitehouse experience and you look at the title sequence of the late show, that whole kind of black and white clips from the show thing is is exactly the same. And I think I remember Tony saying in an interview that it was an influence, the Mary mm. Whitehouse on the late show. And and SNL would have been absolutely as well. So Yeah, it very much sort of follows the format in some ways of SNL, but then sort of it very much goes out on its own path too so you couldn't say it was a copy you know a la steve visard it's sort of like yeah it's, it's sort of like snl but in the dgen's own voice essentially mm. yeah. yeah was um mary whitehouse experience david Badil? is that right yeah it was david Badil and rob newman and punt and dennis oh yeah wow yeah all right so we've got after the News desk. I'm just. I've got a guide here. I've written. Yeah. So. Well, yeah. I was going to say I've, I've got something similar because. Um, yeah, I, I think you might have skipped a, a little bit because there's a little bit of Tony and Mick at the start. Shitting brick. Not a lot. But yeah, because they always bit. used to yeah. throw to the news desk like that opening, like again the opening monologue in SNL mm. with the guest star, and then they throw to uh, whatever news night or whatever. I can't remember what it's called on SNL. And I remember in the um, Mick and Tony bit, there's this reference to Michael Aspel, and I just laughed. I'm going, <laughs> shit, that is so 1992. Like, yeah. Michael Aspel's so Aspel like. Aspel and company. I had to look up about Michael Aspel because in my mind, he's kind of like the hooli doolies to Michael Parkinson's Wiggles. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, like the poor man's Parkinson. <laughs> That's brilliant. But Michael Aspel is, I think he's a really good interviewer, actually. But, but yeah, he was, I mean, Parkinson basically was on the BBC and, and Aspel was on ITV. And so, so basically anyone who's on, who's the kind of rival on ITV is always considered a bit down market, even though Aspel was pretty good interviewer. Yeah, so, and he had great guests, actually, to be fair. Yeah. Well, see, yeah, I, 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 I had a look on, on Wikipedia and it says here that, um, uh, the show was successful in attracting high-profile guests, including then Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher, George Harrison, and Ringo Starr. So there you go, the PM and the Beatles. Um, <laughs> yeah, pretty uh, bad. But then, but then in 1993, um, the show Aspel and Company was censured by the Independent TV Commission because of an interview with Arnold Schwarzenegger, Bruce Willis, and Sylvester Stallone, who were there to promote their joint business venture, Planet Hollywood. And basically, after that. Uh, Michael Aspel vowed never to host a, sh a chat show again, according to Wikipedia. Yeah, that's so, true. true. We that's love true. the principles of the man. <laughs> yeah. No, Michael Aspel's a good egg, I think, and that, that story is is a quite a notorious um, incident in British television. And, and, yeah, basically those three actors had opened up Planet Hollywood in London and the whole of Aspel and Company was devoted to a big plug for their restaurant, basically. And, and it, it's, Why I've not? seen... Of it and it's it's a pretty tacky episode, whereas Aspel and Company was was quite a pleasant chat show. 
you know. Mm. So it's, yeah, I can see why he was annoyed. Wow. I had no idea about any of this whatsoever. So yeah. oh, there's plenty more to come. Yeah, but because we've, we've been, well, because I've been going through the episode, there's a whole bunch of stuff that I've been Googling and Wikipedia-ing and um, just just to, to try and work out what um, what the what references the, are. What's sometimes. going on? What the hell <laughs> yeah. is going what on? Is <laughs> because, again, I was nine at the time that this aired. So. Yeah. Just a spring chicken. Yeah, I think I one, once met someone who was one when, when I came out and is still a huge fan. So, wow. Yeah. Good for them. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah. I like um there's in the news desk. I'm skipping now to the news desk. Yeah, um, let's, let's do that. There's a really great gag with the Pope's bum, which oh. I remember they constantly <laughs> used in a clip of, you know, when they were doing the credits. And there is this amazing laugh in the audience, right? Yeah. <laughs> like this really someone really laughing. And it occurred to me because we later find out that that bum was Michael Hirsch, the uh, yeah. manager. Yes. And <laughs> I, it's, I it's, wonder it's, it's if actually, it is in it's fact actually he laughed in the credits. It's in the episode. credits. <laughs> yeah, as uh, Michael is listed as papal stunt butt. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 yeah, you're you, you're right. It's it's the it's the first big laugh uh, by the audience in the show, which is kind of uh, like. Yeah, it's a funny thing, but it sort of it seems like a really cheap gag to um, uh, to earn uh-huh. the, the audience's laughter from. I think it's okay to have cheap gags. Yeah, I yeah, I, it's a good yeah, gag. I, I like it. I like cheap comedy. <laughs> I, I I enjoy the the bricks and the and the hat stand and you know which, yeah which, yeah they they are kind of cheap jokes and and kind of what I like about just to go back slightly to the to Mick and Tone's opening bit yeah. They kind of know the material's a bit dodgy and they sort of slightly apologise for it. And, and I quite like that because there's always a really nice honesty to their material. They'll, they'll always kind of lean into the crap joke. And I think Tom Gleisner does that quite a lot as well. He yeah. sort of kind of almost deliberately does bad comedy just just for his own well, amusement. Uh, yeah. I mean, that, that, that's where the reference champagne comedy comes from. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was just, exactly. It, was, it, was, it was trying to, to oversell a... a an okay but ultimately crap gag. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Over the course of every and week. And thus making it even funnier. <laughs> yeah. I love it. There's no apologies. It's just like, yeah, look, we, we bashed out like an hour with worth of material and whatever, we're going to tell this joke, you know. They, <laughs> they, they can't all be winners. <laughs> and I just, I just love it, just going back to the news desk when we see... Um, Clinton and, and Rob Sitch's impersonations, just that's the, you know, the first really big ones that he's done. And I remember, gosh, doing that, um, the meme on uh, on Facebook about which lockdown Rob Sitch are you? And there are, you know, so many of them. Maybe, I know. maybe should uh, not be talked about, but uh, there's quite a few. And gosh, Everyone's like, no, you missed out on this one. You missed out on this one. I'm like, okay, I had to do a volume two with all That's the That's right. That had a huge amount of engagement, didn't it? Everyone yeah, remembers the Rob every, face. Everyone knew. But, but Clinton, I mean, gosh, that was pre-Monica Lewinsky and, and he was still a notorious kind of womanizer back then. Yeah, he really <laughs> nailed the characterization, actually. I couldn't yeah, help it. Although 
I think the Clinton bit is later on in the second news desk. Oh, that's right. Yes, I've got. Yeah, that. but um, in the second, the update of the news desk later yeah, on. Yeah, like because that was pre all the Lewinsky scandal. He hadn't even been elected yet, had he? It was just no. That's right. So he yeah. really nailed who this guy was, and he was a boy from Arkansas, Texas. <laughs> nice. <laughs> no, you stay. You stay. We'll go out. <laughs> Classic. But, uh, yeah, the um, Ross Perot thing, I think that's a great example of how, who the frig is Ross Perot? No one remembers him. But we remember Ross, Rob doing it, the Privy Pants. I think that's more famous. Privy Pants. <laughs> Ross and, Perot yeah. was always referenced in, like, 90s episodes of The Simpsons as well. He was obviously oh. kind of a bit of a joke figure in, in the United States because he... He was he was a very very rich man who just decided to keep running for president, and because he had so much money, he could get to the point where he might have a chance of of winning. Ugh, history repeats itself. He never, he never did, but he was an independent candidate, and he was just a rich man, basically. You know, it, yeah. I'm, I'm the, the the Clive Palmer of his time. Yes, <laughs> very much so. The Clive Palmer of his time. Yeah, or even Trump. Ugh. <laughs> Come on, Biden, you can do it. <laughs> and looking at my cheat sheet here, straight after Poopy Pants uh, was the National Drug Offensive Angels scheme. Uh. Like, <laughs> the news. Uh, the, 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 the only thing I've, I've got to say about that is, is uh, looking at the microphones that are used in that sketch and noticing that they're just standard microphones with radio station bumper stickers taped to it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, like you can, you can, you, you can, you can see Triple M, and they, they haven't quite removed the rocks. Insert Melbourne suburb here, part of the, um, <laughs> the thing on it. It's very observant. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I was going to say straight after that um, was the one of my favourite things or a signature thing that Tommy G still uses to this day. And have you been paying attention? Where he tells mm. a somewhat serious story and then or, you know, something sympathetic and then, bam, something grotesque straight afterwards, which is <laughs> the bitch whales. Oh, yeah. And then see so, everyone trying to rescue the whales and then they got back into the water, but the Japanese trawlers were off <laughs> the water's edge. <laughs> and, and they literally just yeah. made that joke, I think, last week on Have You Been Paying Attention as well. So that joke is just one of those running gags that never dies. Yeah. Well, sadly, and the story remains the same, doesn't yeah. it? <laughs> and now talking about the electromagnetic fields, I thought that's the 5G conspiracy theory of its, of its day well, as well. Yeah. yeah. And thought that was funny. Straight after the beached whales was all about the new $5 note coming in with the Queen being printed on the front. And yeah. Tommy was kind of altering, uh, trying to alter the picture, really, because wasn't that the whole thing where the printing was so soft or too very gentle, you can rub a face off. Yeah, I, I used yeah. to do that. I remember sending a uh, $5 note without the face on it to my English pen pal. Wow. <laughs> These are the sort of fun things you did in 1992. <laughs> no internet. <laughs> yeah, that's right. No Photoshop, it's just all rub the finger on your <laughs> note. And I, I remember folding it in a certain way. And ah, uh, yes, okay. I won't say any more. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's I feel bad just saying that, like a bit of a second. I, 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 don't, I don't know who discovered that. They, 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 they must have had 
nothing better to do. Hi, you have reached the end of part one and thank you so much for downloading and listening and staying with us for the entire time. Part two of the Champagne Comedy podcast is more detailed and in-depth, so if you haven't downloaded it, download it now. If you downloaded part two and then listen to part one, just listen to this one again and then part two in order. You get the idea. Anyway, thank you for listening and I hope that you continue on listening to us in part two of our first episode of the Champagne Comedy Podcast. Please visit champagnecomedy.com. Produced by Matt Fulton Productions. mattfulton.com.au